You're on. Welcome, Welcome to, to the Dipshit dip Files, episode 86. 86. And it's going to be an unsolved kind of... It's going to be a sad one. It's going to be sad. It's going to be dark. Yeah, but we'll kind of keep it a little terse. Could you win that word? I just wanted to say it, that's all. It's not going to be terse. It's going to be a thorough look at a case <laughs> right. that is unsolved from yeah. the 80s. Absolutely. And it's connected to milk cartons. Yep. Yeah. So let's just take a look at the file and uh, let's, uh, let's spread the sad. Let's fly on back to 1984, shall we? Get your lactose intolerance pills ready. Let's do it. some crap about Scatcast, eh? All right, before we get into today's show, I first wanted to mention a couple things that for patrons, they mm-hmm. can participate in our questions of the week for Dipshit Files in there. And that's going to happen. It'll drop every day mm-hmm. that we have the Dipshit Files. So, And it'll be for the next week. Right. If that makes any so sense. So we'll ask that question. You give your answers. We'll discuss it the following week. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have a week to collect stuff. Another thing that's fun, mer- <laughs> <laughs> merchandise. <laughs> Is available for the Slicer McGee sword, mm-hmm. the Demon Gutter Prime sword, and the Smurf Pissing Kit. Yes. All Lodo, available on the website right now. Yeah. Like $9.99 for the swords and $14.99 for the Smurf Pissing Kit. Nice. Another important thing, our email. Yeah. What's our email? Our email is dipshitfilespod at gmail.com. Dipshitfilespod at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. And last but not least bonus episode at the end of this episode you can go right over to patreon and hear that another little bit mm-hmm. and that's what we're doing so <laughs> let's get to the show all right the dipshit files true crime presents the unsolved case of kevin collins all right for 2024 we've got a new segment that we're going to be covering throughout this year the unsolved crime unsolved mystery segment so to kick off this uh this new unsolved segment we're going to discuss the really baffling 1984 disappearance of kevin collins from san francisco california Mm. it's an interesting sad story Uh, but the 40th anniversary of his disappearance is just over a month away Literally a month away. Hmm. He was only 10 years old when he vanished without a trace. So let's get into this story. Okay. Oh, me again? Uh, Yeah, do the thing. Kevin Andrew Collins was born on January 24th, 1974. He was one of nine children to his parents, David and Ann Collins. Now, they had seven biological children and two adopted children. David worked as a truck driver and Ann was a secretary. Uh, Kevin grew up in San Francisco, California, and at the time he went missing, I was living just 40 miles south in San Jose. You guys were like neighbors. This this case was everywhere I looked, and it really, truly affected nearly every aspect of my, my life, my family life. So Kevin's mom described Kevin as being extremely shy. Uh, he was a lot quieter than his other brothers and sisters. However, Kevin was very energetic. He loved uh, outdoor stuff. He loved to fish. He loved being outdoors. He was athletic. He was involved in school sports. And his favorite pastime was basketball. Nice. He was actually on the team at his school. Now, Kevin's parents noted his tendency to be 
truly shy around others, especially one uh, individuals he didn't know. But when he was on the basketball court, he just started punching, he just, <laughs> punching, he just punching cheerleaders. <laughs> He'd go after the mascot. <laughs> we really liked it. It was enjoyable. Well, they attributed his shyness to his dyslexia. Now, for those who aren't familiar with dyslexia, it's basically a learning disability where reading is more difficult than for those who don't have it, which in turn just requires more time in the classroom to learn, from what I understand. Now, Kevin was in the fourth grade at the time of his disappearance, and he attended a Catholic school in San Francisco in the Haight-Ashbury area named St. Agnes Catholic School. On Friday, February 10th, 1984, Kevin attended school like any other normal school day. And after school, he went to basketball practice just like any other normal school day. Except for that, that school does sound like a place where you get your ass beat pretty good by the teachers. <laughs> just, doesn't well, it, though? Well, St. Agnes? Saint, she's, she's coming for your ass. St. Agnes. Get over here so I can beat the love of the Lord in here. So this, this was just like any other normal school day. However, uh, this wasn't normal. Typically, Kevin would go home with his older brother, Gary, who was 11 years old at the time. Gary. Gary didn't go to school that day because he actually was homesick. So at around 6 or 6.30, there isn't a real definitive time because they don't really know when Kevin left. But it's been reported that around 6 to 6.30 p.m., Kevin stepped out of the gym, the gymnasium, although nobody actually saw him leave. Now, this was a strategic move on Kevin's part, uh, or so his parents thought, although an unfortunate move. It's thought that he did this so he could head home by himself. So instead of Kevin asking for a ride from his coach or any of the kid's parents from practice, he just chose to quietly slip out without anybody seeing him. Now, remember, Kevin was extremely shy. So he was resistant to asking for help um, or for anybody to take him home. So it's assumed that he just thought, I know how to ride the bus. I know how to get home. I can do th- I do this all the time with my brother. So I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, not bother anybody and just go home on my own. Hmm. I know people like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we all remember being 10 and yeah. wanting to do this sort of thing on our own. Yeah. You know? So reports state that Kevin walked to the corner of Oak Street and Masonic Avenue to wait for the 43 bus to take him home. That sounds Illuminati as fuck. <laughs> now, this bus stop from the school is actually not that far. It's actually really close. So he didn't have to walk very far. However, this is San Francisco, and he's a child. So he had to dodge a lot of poop on the street that was made by humans. And he's by himself. Now, we're talking about February here. So, you know that in February, it's already super dark by 6. I mean, it gets dark by 5 in February. Yeah. And at this point, it's 6 to 6.30. So, it's obviously pretty dark. You need a and, flashlight to see all the poo. And he's by himself at a bus stop. Now, this is where things start to get really strange. It seems Kevin was seen at the bus stop between the hours of 6 and 6.30 to almost 8 p.m., now, that's a, that's, that's a long time. He missed a couple of buses. Did like. he get distracted and miss his bus? I mean, did he leave the bus stop to go somewhere and then miss his bus? It's just odd. So witnesses say that about 7.55 p.m., they saw a man talking to Kevin. He's described as a, a Caucasian man with blonde hair, and he had a large black dog. Now, it's been reported that the dog was a lab, 
but due to the size of the dog and witness reports, it seems more likely to have been a Great Dane. Hey, hey, mama, said the way you move, gonna make you sweat, gonna make you blue. Multiple people saw this blonde man with a dog talking to Kevin. And there were also reports that stated that they believe that two Caucasian males actually kidnapped Kevin. And some of these witnesses stated that they were driving a four-door Royal Blue 1967 Ford Galaxy. Huh. Oddly specific. Mm-hmm. However, those specific reports have never been confirmed. Although this information has been shared from several media sources, um, the majority of witness reports state that Kevin was seen talking to just one man that had a dog. Mm. So it's it's conflicting. There's weird stuff from the very beginning. There's always evidence like that where people see different shit. Right. Standing right next to each other. Well, you know, and there may have been a blue 1967 Ford Galaxy. Uh, in that area mm-hmm. around that time. Right. It could have been. And maybe two people did talk to Kevin. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Well, when Kevin didn't come home that evening, his mom, Anne, she knew right away that something wasn't right. She knew something must have happened to her son because it just wasn't like him. He was never this late. Mm-hmm. Now, Gary and Kevin would sometimes get distracted on their way home and, and you know, 20 minutes, 10 minutes never this late she knew that kevin was familiar with the bus schedule and the route to get home having traveled every day with his brother so she immediately called her brother and her husband to let them know that kevin hadn't made it back home and that they needed to go search for him so they all spread out and they scoured the area in search of the missing child and after just shy of 90 minutes in this search they called the police to report kevin was missing Hmm. what a nightmare now, this is the mid-80s, and we've covered the ridiculous police response before. However, surprise, <laughs> mm-hmm. the police didn't really take the report seriously. Oh, boy. Yep, they basically placated the worried parents and told them, well, he's 10. Maybe he went to a friend's house. Maybe he's still there, and this and that. But the parents are like, no, 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 he's not at a friend's house. We've already looked. He's not there. He is missing. The Collins family wasn't having any part of dragging their feet in this issue. They immediately went home, made homemade missing persons poster signs, and spent the entire night and the following weeks covering the city with them. They went door to door asking if anyone had seen their son or if if they had any tips or any leads, any ideas. What a nightmare. It would take nearly 48 hours before the police would accept that Kevin was actually missing. 48 hours. Could you imagine two days without your son? I'm glad the kids are grown, honey buns. (sighs) So, yeah, what a nightmare. The family turned their entire home into a war room of sorts to search for their family member. Mm. And set up a hotline where people could call in and just give any tips that they thought might help. The family, friends, and neighbors literally canvassed the entire city. And in the weeks after Kevin disappeared, a milk farmer offered to put Kevin's picture on milk cartons. Hmm. That way, Kevin's face and his information would be seen by every family in the entire Bay Area during their family breakfast and dinner routines. Oh, wow. He was the milk carton OG. Well, one of them, yes. Hmm. This would have a more broad reach than paper flyers in in simply just the city. Now, I, I did a little bit of looking into this because I always thought Kevin Collins was the first one, but he, actually he wasn't. Hmm. 
Now, here's a bit of Milk Carton backstory. Okay. Beginning in the early 1980s, advertisements on milk cartons in the United States were used to publicize cases of missing children. The printing of ads continued until the late 90s when other programs became more popular for serving the same purpose. Contemporary popular media portrayed the practice in fiction, often in a satirical manner, which as a a young adult and an adult, when I heard people joking around, your face is going to end up on a milk carton, it always gave me a pit in my stomach. I know, took milk from like, yummy, I love milk, to like, that's a scary, sad drink. Right, well, you know, having grown up at a very, uh, I guess, critical time during this period of time and having a child a year younger than me go missing, mm-hmm. just after I had a kind of a family thing that oh, yeah. it, it had happened just five and a half months prior to this. Yeah, that's right. So we can discuss that in Patreon a little bit. Okay. Um, but this 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 story is close to my heart because I had a, a something impact my family five and a half months later. This happened in almost my hometown. Yeah. You know, it wasn't that far away. Right. So during the late 1970s and 1980s in the United States, missing child cases garnered a great deal of news media attention. Chief among these were the disappearance of Etten Patz in 1979 and the kidnapping and murder of Adam Walsh in 1981, whose story was told in the 1983 television movie Adam. Hmm. These reports developed into a type of moral panic called stranger danger in 1984 the national center for missing and exploited children was founded dude when i was growing up my parents were like don't talk to strangers yep. don't do the candy oh. don't look for, if you oh, see dude. a van just put up a fucking flare in the sky and we'll yep. come get you oh my t- my my family too yeah. in september of 1984 anderson erickson dairy in des moines iowa began printing the photographs of two boys Johnny Grosh, age 12, missing since September 5th of 1982, and Eugene Martin, age 13, missing since August 12th of 1984. Real quick, I know this is dark, but what if the milk company was mm-hmm. behind all the kidnappings of the kids they put on the milk carton? <sighs> They're hiding in plain sight. Oh my gosh. Wasn't that to make some sense? You're terrible. That's a movie making, come on. You are terrible. Terrible like a fox. I'm sorry, I don't know what that means. A similar milk carton advertising program for missing children launched in Chicago, Illinois with support from the police and statewide in California with support from the government. In December 1984, January of 1985, the nonprofit National Child Safety Council began a nationwide program called the Missing Children Milk Carton Program in the United States. And everybody's breakfast cereal was that much more sad. Putting photos of missing children on milk cartons. By March 1985, 700 of 1,600 independent dairies in the United States had adopted the practice of publishing these photos of missing children on milk cartons. And no one had a nice breakfast ever again. Etten Patz was one of the first missing children, and perhaps the most famous of them to be sought with this strategy. In 1979, when the six-year-old boy went missing on the way to the school bus in in Manhattan, there'd been no system in the United States for tracking missing children nationwide. In 1985, Pats' photo was printed on milk cartons so that consumers purchasing milk at retail markets could be encouraged to look for the missing child. The practice had begun to fade by the late 1980s and became completely obsolete when the Amber Alert system was created in 1996. Mm -hmm. Back to the Kevin story. Kevin also appeared on the cover of Newsweek. 
He was actually the first missing child to gain the cover on this publication or any other national news publication. Hmm. With this type of media attention, you would think he would have been found, or at least would have received valuable leads as to his rescue. Now, not long after Kevin went missing, the police were involved in routine witness interviews, and they questioned just about everyone. I mean, they, they really did. They questioned a man that actually lived across the street from Kevin's school. His name was Wayne Jackson. Now, not only did Wayne live across the street, but he owned a great, a black Great Dane, which was very interesting. Mm. Uh, so while the police were investigating Wayne Jackson for the possible abduction of Kevin, <laughs> guess what? Mm. They find out that back in 1981, Wayne was arrested for luring and soliciting a 13-year-old boy on Fisherman's Wharf. Well, fucking you don't need much more than that. Right, so. right. But, you know, it's the 80s. Right. So, dirty old Wayne made bail and then skipped town. Dirty old Wayne. <laughs> I'm just being dirty old me. Right. So, after a few weeks, they did track him down and arrest him for skipping bail. So, yay, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, get this. Mm. He only served six months in jail. Shush. And then he got three years of probation. Okay. Just three years of probation. A little slap on the wrist Redamdiculous. So, Kevin went missing in 1984. Wayne pulled his bullshit with that 13-year-old boy in 1981, three years before Kevin went missing. Mm. Wayne had only three years of probation. Yeah. Coincidence? Perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. Now, the detectives on this case, they continued their interviews uh, although they liked Wayne for this, they had to set him aside. There was nothing on this guy. Mm. Uh, so they continued their investigations. Now, they did get permission from Wayne to search his apartment. Uh, they meandered through. And at the time, Wayne also had a roommate. They questioned this man, but he provided no real information. And unfortunately, the detectives didn't find a single ounce of evidence in Wayne's apartment. So... At this time, the investigation, uh, the detectives had really nothing to link Wayne to the disappearance of Kevin. Right. There was literally nothing to link him to Kevin in any way. Just he was dirty old Wayne. But they had a hunch. There was something nagging at them. It was the dirty old Wayne part. So, right. So they ended up putting Wayne's picture in a lineup. And then they asked several of the witnesses that had seen a male with Kevin to look at the photo collection and point out any of the men... Uh, that may have been recognizable as the individual talking to Kevin that night. However, not a single person pointed to Wayne Jackson. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So the police ended up holding a news conference, pleading with the public that if anybody knew anything, to please come forward and share the information that any tip would help, no matter how small. Kevin's face uh, was circulated on milk cartons, news stations, also on the cover of Newsweek magazine. But even with all that... Kevin was never found, ever, hmm. never found. His family didn't give up, though. I mean, they tried for decades to find Kevin. Anytime the police would receive a tip, they would investigate. You know, they, they really wanted to bring this boy home, but those tips just weren't leading to anything substantial. It's as if Kevin just disappeared into thin air. Panic and fear this family experience just to be followed by devastation and zero answers what what more could have been done like like really even with national attention no one had any tangible leads now 
I don't remember what San Francisco looked like in 1984. Um, but it's just today, it's just house after house after house. And the area where Kevin was last seen, there's buildings everywhere. And it's actually not that far away from Mission Dolores Park, which if you're from the Bay Area or San Francisco, you know that Dolores Park was a, a very popular location. It is a very popular location with recreational activities like it has many tennis courts, a dog park, giant playground, a soccer field, basketball court, right. live events and festivals. Today you can buy fentanyl right there. <laughs> just, need it. It's just, it's really near to this park. I don't know if that has anything to do with anything at all, to be honest with you. It's never really been mentioned. But I just find that an interesting little tidbit of information when a child goes missing so close to that type of situation, that type of recreational area. Yeah. So moving on anyways, then the police thought maybe a man by the name of John Dunkel could possibly be responsible for the disappearance of Kevin. Fucking Dunkel did it. Well, this, this guy... This guy. Dunkle did this. This guy, though. No, no, he's creepy. He's bad. John Dunkle, he was also known as the Peninsula Serial Killer. Lovely nickname. Who murdered three young boys in Belmont, California between 1981 and 1985. Dunkle was convicted of two of the murders in 1989 and was sentenced to death early the following year. Dunkel received an additional sentence of life imprisonment without the possibility of parole in 1994 after pleading guilty to a 1985 murder. John's three known victims were very similar looking and around the same age of Kevin, so they thought that maybe he had something to do with it. But from what I understand, John was incarcerated at the time of Kevin's disappearance. So Makes it difficult. He was quickly ruled out. Well, mostly ruled out. But there wasn't a solid connection to Kevin, so he's out of the picture. It just fits the profile pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So, two decades would pass. And in late 2005, someone tried to steal Kevin's identity. Oh, wow. Right? This man went into the DMV in San Francisco and was trying to get a whole new identity under Kevin's name. Hmm. This dipshit actually thought he could get away with his crap. The police did question him, you know, to see if maybe he had any connection to Kevin or Kevin's disappearance, but he really didn't. And he would, but he would plead guilty to identity theft. This man literally thought he was like, oh, it's been so many years. People don't even remember the story about Kevin. So let me just, I don't know, steal his identity. Mm-hmm. I swear some people. Yeah. What the man didn't know was the woman that was working at the DMV. Yeah, she remembered. It's kind of like somebody being like, hello, I'm John Benet Ramsey. I know, I would right? like a credit card, please. Right. Really, John Benet Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> well, she remembered. As soon as she saw the name Kevin Andrew Collins, she immediately alerted the police because she thought, she thought, oh my gosh, maybe this is that missing boy. Hmm. She got really excited. On the Sadly, milk carton, the milk carton boy. Yeah. Sadly, it wasn't. It was It was some dipshit identity thief. Yeah. Then, eight years later, after that, in 2013, the police decided to breathe some new life into this cold case. On January 29th, 2013, the police served a search warrant on Wayne Jackson's old house in the 1100 block of Masonic Avenue. The concrete floor was removed after cadaver dogs indicated the possible presence of remains. Ah, creepy old Wayne. Right? It was reported, however, that preliminary reports indicated the remains to be from an animal, not a human. 
Now, all reports that I've read state preliminary results. I searched and I can't find anything definitive after the testing was completed. So I'm just assuming that they weren't human remains. I feel is that uh, it would be such a huge break in the case. It would have hit the news. Yeah. We would hear about it. So right. I'm assuming animal remains, well, which still kind of fucked good, up and weird, but yeah, good, bad. However, while the detectives were breathing new life into Kevin's case, they decided to take a closer look into Wayne Jackson. Or <laughs> at least who they thought was Wayne Jackson. Mm-mm. Hey, howdy, did they find out some shit? So Wayne Jackson was actually an alias. Now, I honestly don't know what his true name is. Jackson? You look like a Jackson. But, no, you don't. But I think his real name uh, might be Dan Leonard Therian. I mean, he had several aliases. I would keep Therian if I had the last name. I mean, right? Jackson's great. We got Bow well, if, if he's trying to lay low... Therian. Right? Yeah, you want to get like Smith. Yeah. Well, or Jackson. he had several aliases. I mean, he used different names throughout the years. He also had different dates of birth. So who really knows his true identity? We don't We don't know. But I would go with Therian. That's fucking Tomax Therian. We assume, third. collectively assume, that it's Dan Leonard Therian. Okay. So the detectives at uh, the San Francisco Police Department... They take a closer look at Kevin's case. They realize that Wayne Jackson isn't who he's pretending to be. He's a Therian! That he has many aliases. And the worst part of all of this, Wayne Jackson, who we believe really is Dan Leonard Therian, he had been arrested for kidnapping and assaulting two 13-year-old boys in Canada. Why are there so many fuckheads on the planet? I know. Awful. What the fuck is going on? Two 13-year-old boys in Canada in 1973. And he was he was never convicted. Why, you might ask? Because he's a Therian. <laughs> well, he skipped bail and fled the country. That and sounds he, like a Therian. He ended up in good old San Francisco, hmm. right? Yeah. All the aliases that he had used pooping on the street were Raymond William Stewart, Kelly Lee Dawson, Kelly Sean Stewart, as well as John. Oh, sorry, Wayne D. Jackson, which is. How the police in San Francisco know him. So, based on the new evidence of Wayne's past crimes against young boys, uh, being convicted of being a pedo, and living just down the street from Kevin's school, and also owning a big black dog, he pretty much made a good match to the man witnesses saw Kevin talking to that night. Right. Really, he really did. So, the cold case investigators officially named Wayne Jackson as the person of interest a number one person of interest in the disappearance of Kevin in February of 1984. Unfortunately, Wayne ended up passing away in 2008, so they weren't able to arrest him, nor was Wayne. Wayne never faced uh, a trial. Hmm. Wayne does have a partner in Canada, however, and for the past several years, the detectives have done their best to get information out of this guy. They even offered him immunity if he would just share any and all information that he might have regarding Kevin's disappearance. But as much as they push and offer him all these things, he's just not willing to budge. So far, he's refusing to talk. To this day, the case does remain open. And if anyone has any information on this matter, they're asked to please contact the San Francisco Police Department Major Crimes Unit at 415-553. One one four five. Mm-hmm. Additionally, information can be given anonymously if you don't want to give your name at four one five 
575-4444 or via text message. You just text TIP to TIP411. Sadly, this devastating experience took its toll on the entire family. Kevin's parents ended up divorcing five years after his disappearance. His father, David Collins, established the Kevin Collins Foundation for Missing Children in San Francisco to raise awareness and to help develop leads in abduction cases like Kevin's. Uh, even though he, he never was able to solve the, his own child's missing case, he focused on all of the missing children cases in his area. He helped so many families. Unfortunately, the foundation folded in 1996 after just 12 years, citing lack of funding, hmm. So, which was sad. But he did good in, in that period of time. Yeah. The Collins family stated that they knew Kevin wasn't alive since day one. Oh, really? Yeah. They just knew it in their hearts. Uh, it was so unlike Kevin. It was so out of the ordinary, so abnormal. They just, they just knew. It's just so sad to read. In 1994, on the 10th anniversary of Kevin's disappearance, the family held a private memorial service for Kevin's dedicating a bench to him at the Holy Cross Cemetery in San Francisco. The simple granite bench has his name, a cross with the words, forever in our hearts. Kevin's mother still lives in the Bay Area. However, his father uh, eventually moved out of the United States. In the event Kevin is still alive and out there somewhere, I wanted to reiterate his identifying features. He was born on January 24th, 1974, which would make him 49 years old. He grew up with naturally brown hair, has gray-green eyes. He's a Caucasian male and has freckles on his face, has a small horizontal scar on his tongue, the last time he was seen, he was wearing a San Francisco's Giants jacket and his school uniform, which consisted of a white short sleeve dress shirt, a dark green sweater, and brown corduroy pants and beige Nike tennis shoes. Now, I know he wouldn't be wearing this today. The image in my head was pretty funny. I was like, well, I'm 49, still wearing this I know. Shirt. It's not that. It's <laughs> anyone who may, it might trigger a memory. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. in being in that area. I do hope that somehow Kevin's family can find closure, and it's just such a sad story and consists and continues to be unsolved, the, the case of Kevin Andrew Collins. Mm. All right, let's talk more about what you think about this, and maybe if there's some more details on the yeah. other side of the song thing. Sounds good. Now it's time for the conclusion of today's show. Yeah. All right, wife, thank you so much, as always, for the research. You're very welcome. The presentation of darkness in a yeah. nice way. Uh, yeah. What... I know that this was part of your childhood, mm-hmm. and, and but what triggered you to do research on it recently? On, on this specific case, yeah, uh, it was a couple, a couple weeks, couple months, somewhere in there ago. I watched a documentary on it. Oh, okay. Yeah, they had done. It's a very recent documentary on the disappearance of Kevin Collins. Mm. I think it's "Where's Kevin" or "Kevin's Missing" or something like that. That's called "Home Alone," honey. That's not... <laughs> sorry. Well, no, no, no. Anyways, so I watched it and it brought back a lot of memories for me. Hmm. In the Patreon, I want to talk about the a- the '80s Stranger Danger and just gonna, how much of a yeah we're gonna, in our face that was yeah. as kids. We're going to talk about also my personal connection to this this situation in Patreon. But I did want to bring up a really cool, interesting tidbit of information that I didn't know until I watched the documentary. Mm. Kevin's his face, his missing persons poster is actually featured 
in the police department in 1984's Terminator the movie. What? Yeah, it's in the police department. Really? On uh-huh. a poster kind of thing? It's on a missing child poster well, in the police department in the movie. I don't know how you're going to just weasel that into a sentence, but there you go. Folks. I know. Did you know? Did you know? That the very, f- that in first, in Terminator 1. Yeah, in the first Terminator, in the police, they're in the police department. The very first kid on the milk carton-ish. Ish, yeah. Is on the wall. Yeah, he's up there with like the first five. That's a weird Easter egg. I know. And then somebody thought about that. There's nothing they, on a set that's really not thought right. about. That's, they, they put it in there. Maybe they thought they were helping. Yeah. I hope so. It's crazy. Yeah. Anyways. All right. Well, thank you so much for that. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you guys for listening. We will continue this conversation on Patreon mm-hmm. after this. So you can head over there if you'd like. Mm-hmm. Patreon.com forward slash scatcast. How's it get there? Uh, what's our email address? Dipshitfilespod <laughs> at gmail.com. All right. Dipshitfilespod at gmail.com. <laughs> yes. All right. Big thanks to the folks that help us behind the scenes so much mm-hmm. and on the internet. Mm-hmm. Our trusted turd triad of Don, Chris, and Bodie. Mm-hmm. Don the shitbox wizard. Chris the discord dookie slayer. And Bodhi Senyata, just uh, the quartermaster badass, mm-hmm. who does all sorts of fun stuff, especially for this show. And thank you to our trusted turd herders. Mm-hmm. We've got a bunch of those folk, including our brand new Scat Cack. Scat Cack. <laughs> <laughs> the coordinator of chaos. Yes. Carissa, thank you so much for all the work that you've been up to over the last year or longer. Yeah. Been part of this ride for a long time. Mm-hmm. Our trusted turd herders have our, our Reddit regulators. Mm-hmm. I've made a lot of strange things yeah, to you say have. out of my yep. mouth. Yep. PJ and Minibug, mm-hmm. we appreciate the shit out of those two. Lots and lots of love in there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Here's some more, in no particular order. Joe the Goat Labardi, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Brizowski, <laughs> the Scat Mike Card w- King. Mike Wazowski. Stop it. <laughs> Alan Sweeting, Sir Foodie of yes. the Garbage Disposal. Mm-hmm. And of course, the Cack, Scat Cack. It's just fun to say Scat Cack. <laughs> uh, Brian White? No. Mm-hmm. Bryce White. Bryce White. Sorry, Bryce, we love you. <laughs> uh, the Photo Master, the yes. Scat photo master who yes. takes turd photos in an expert way yes now chris <laughs> the dick kicker dick our music kicker. guy uh scat tunes coming soon mm-hmm. in the next month or so lucifina lightbringer the mm-hmm. art goddess yes. always doing cool shit especially you guys that got the scat sock you know mm-hmm. uh we've got jose montez our jargoneer coordinator jargoneer coordinator yeah he's like the conductor of the jargoneers mm-hmm. i'm trying to figure out something for i love jose he just you know, did a video in his conduct- shower. The, the, other- the conductor of the jar- jargoneers reminds me, the first thing that popped into my head was that video, that Devin Townsend video. Oh, yeah. With the, on the train. <laughs> yeah. We talked about that. Maybe yeah. on the show, maybe not. I'm not sure. <laughs> Big shout out to the Spoon Man. Spoon Man. Always working to make people feel better. Uh, to our buddy Eric Vess. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. From Baculum. David Carpenter, the Scott Warlock. Mm-hmm. Always a fucking awesome human being. Thank you. And so many others, too. Mm-hmm. Deja Voodoo, Paul Poe, Jake Corbino, Lieutenant Memes. I promoted him yes. to captain last time. Uh-huh. Back down to he's lieutenant. He's been demoted. Yeah, he's yeah. lieutenant. But not because he's not doing great, but because we're just willy-nilly with the titles, right. apparently. Lieutenant Memes. Lieutenant Memes. Yeah. And there are many, many others. Mm-hmm. And we'll mention you guys over the years. Yeah. Or however long we get to do this one. <laughs> Wonderful fucking ride. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you to all our co-hosts, mm-hmm. uh, to Shaden and to Jeff out in the woods kicking bared balls and mm-hmm. stuff. And to some new guys coming into the group. Yep, yep, uh, to Will, welcome to the family. This Sunday you can check out the BBC. Yes. Not 
that BBC, and certainly not that BBC, but but uh, this BBC, the brotherly brain cell. Yes, you can find that on YouTube. Is the best place to check that out. The first episode this Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you to our patrons so much. Yes, it is just huge. We are going to spend a lot more time together in mm-hmm. Patreon this year. Yes, we are. Uh, tons of shit coming for you that are just for you guys, mm-hmm. and of course, tons of free stuff as well. There's over 380 free episodes on the Scatcast Network, mm-hmm. and probably about a hundred hours worth of free shit or not free shit behind the paywall right about 100 hours including the bonus of this thing yes so if you'd like to see us there we'll see you there if not we'll talk to you next week and as always we'll talk at you in the future it'll seem like the present bye bye Bing. Bing. (laughs) Bong? Bong. (laughs) (laughs) You stepped on my bing. I tried.